Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't, today is Thursday, December, <clears throat> December the 10th. This is episode 2789, and it's a topic roundtable show. This is uh, Most of this is just in my head today. There's a few things that have come in from people. There's a really cool tip that came in from somebody about a, a thing you can use, and Uh, there's one or two questions, but most of this is just things that I'm thinking about that I thought maybe we would want to talk about today. Um, here's what I've got. I've got why you should consider checking out the TSP Discord uh, channel, I, or server, actually. I, I hate saying it that way because it makes people think they need to be technical. You do not need to be technical to use Discord. You might have to have a little bit of technical ability to set it up, but if you're just joining a... Uh, 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 an existing server like we have. You just basically sign up and, and you're part of it and you let us do the technical things. Uh, I'll tell you more about our Discord and why it might be fun, really fun, to become part of this and how we actually came up today with an idea for a bonding experience that I think will be fun. Uh, I also want to tell you a little bit about John Bush's new project called The Greater Reset and how that fits with my concept of the Great Privacy Reset. Uh, and a little more impetus on, hey, understand this great reset thing that they want to do. They're not going to get everything they want. Tyrants never get everything they want. Even in a total tyranny, they don't get everything they want. But they're going to get a lot of it, and you need to be prepared to resist it through adaptation, as I keep telling you. Uh, next, if you're new to crypto, I'm going to give you a good tutorial. We talked about years ago, honestly. It's still there. Uh, it comes from Dash, the, the cryptocurrency project called Dash, D-A-S-H, Digital Cash. Uh, but they have a, uh, a YouTube channel with a six-part tutorial on it, and specifically the first three. If you're one of these people like, I just don't understand, man, I think this will help a lot. And I think for people that, like, you kind of get it, and you even use it, but you don't really get it, but you want to get it, but you don't really get like, you just have some questions about what exactly does all this mean? Um, the first three videos in this, this uh, series I'll give you I think is really, really valuable. I'm going to talk to you about something called Maker Pipe. When I saw the email, I thought this had something to do with 3D printing based on the blurb that went with it. And I'm glad I read it because it does. And I probably would have read it if I did think it was about 3D printing and I read it anyway. But it's actually far more approachable for more people. It's really freaking cool. And I think a lot of you with maybe some winter projects might want to know about Maker Pipe. It's actually not pipe. It's a thing that works with pipe, specifically electrical conduit that you can buy really cheap at the hardware store. It's freaking cool, and it's not real expensive for what it does either. And then what is? here's one that was from a question today. What is the role of a landline phone in today's world, especially for people in rural locations where you might have occasional spotty cell phone coverage? Um, then I talk about why I'm not going to bother, I, I, why I don't personally bother much with soil testing, why maybe you should, and what I do instead of worrying about testing my soil. And then I want to talk to you a little bit, because I see so much of it, follow the science, it's science! Like, anytime anybody objects to anything with this crap with COVID, science! Like, like some sort of freaking delusional maniac, but if you say, okay, well, what science are you talking about? The science! What science? What science? Because people saying something on TV is not science. People saying on TV, hey, this is what we have to do because it's science, is not science. People saying what the experts say, whatever the hell that group means, 
Whoever decides who an expert is, the experts say blank, is not science. This is not how science works. I want to talk about what the, the, the most basic science says about the effectiveness of lockdowns. And you don't have to be a scientist to understand science. A lot of people screaming science are also not scientists, and they clearly do not understand science. But we're going to talk about just a basic, like, look. let's just look at the landscape, and let's see how much science is really behind the concept of locking things down like they're doing in California right now. What, what, what does the science actually say about that from a, an evidentiary standpoint? We're going to take a look at that briefly. And I don't want to just finish up with a new look at landlording. In the world of Airbnb and hip camp, etc., and the opportunities that are out there for people with, you know, a, a decent little piece of land, especially in a non-beltway suburb, flashpoint city area, somewhere out in the sticks, just a little bit even, and how much opportunity that might provide, and why platforms like Airbnb and hip camp might really make a lot of sense to use for that from a liability standpoint. All right, we're gonna move on from there. Let's. Uh, Let's let's get into this today, starting off with a quote of the day, which I think is really a great quote for the place we are in the world today. And this is by Lao Tzu. And he said, Mastering others is strength. Mastering yourself is true power. And I, I think it's true that the majority of problems people have in the world today are due to a lack of mastering themselves rather than the things that other people do. Whether those other people actually have power or not, or, str or strength or not, or authority or not, infinitely it ends up being that the person's unwillingness to master themselves is the source of the greatest portion of their problems. And, and, and their biggest failure to master of themselves is a fail to fail, failure to master fear. It amazes me sometimes when I say, like, they said this, and I'm not doing it. And I get a response of, well, wait until they make you. And here's the thing. They're not going to make me do any of the shit that follows. I've designed my life to be as resilient and non-brittle to those things that you're worried about as possible. And the person saying that, Most of the time, they don't even know who I am or who they're talking to. They're talking to a voice in the wilderness, so to speak. And their words are not really about me. They're about themselves. They're projecting their own fears onto others because they don't know what they're going to do. They don't know what they're going to do. And, and it's the very fact that they know something's happening, whether, they're, whether they actually understand it or not, and that's a whole other layer of fear. We can talk about it in a second. But they know something is going to come, and they know something is going to change, and they don't know how they're going to respond to it, so they have greater fear. One of the things you learn in the military, for instance, when I was going to airborne school, is how all your equipment works, everything that can go wrong, and everything that can be done about what can go wrong. And then the, the, the finality of it's rare, but if all these things go wrong and all these things fail to function, you're going to splat on the ground into a, a little smear spot and be dead. But other than that, here's everything that, that sh here's how everything goes right. Here's how everything works. Here's everything that can go wrong. Here's the corrective action for all the things that can go wrong. Now let's drill all those things for all those eventualities until you can do them in your sleep and then we'll drop you out of an airplane. 
And it's amazing how little fear you have going out of an airplane the first time in your life after that process. Do you know why? Because you know what's coming, what can happen, and what to do if it goes wrong. If you've gamed out your life that way in the face of even something as huge as the Great Reset, you walk into it without fear. However, if you just know that something's going to happen and you don't know what it is, your mind then, this is the other side of the fear, not only do you not know what to do, and not only have you failed to master yourself so you have no power, and you've given it away, therefore, to them, whoever they are, right? You also, since you do not know what's coming really, you tend to expand it with your mind to the worst-case scenario of that it could be not for everybody but for you. This is why great great horror and, and, and science fiction-type writers, like let's say Stephen King, for instance, write about the thing under your bed, but they don't fully describe what it is. Because they know that the fear that you have in your soul, in your heart, in your mind, of what it could be, is greater than the fear of anything that they can describe to you. Because your own fear exceeds general fear. Your fear is specific. Your fear is specific to what you don't know, where your weaknesses are, and what you are afraid can hurt you the most. And the pressure points in your life that you have the most fear for. The self-centered person has the most fear for what can happen to them. The family man has the most fear for what can happen to his family and his inability to do something about it. And all of this shit being done in the name of globalism today preys upon this fear, and it is why they have dumbed you down That's why they have turned our education system into indoctrination. But they've also taken it to the point where they, they, they convince people that they're educated when they really don't know anything. Sure, they know how to do math and they can read, but they don't know how to think. So you have people that have a belief that they're educated when it's the last thing that they are. You can teach somebody to read, write, and do basic math really, really quickly. It's not that hard. But instead of doing that and then saying, now let's use this so that we can use logic to form rhetoric, to communicate, to get feedback, to perform more logical analysis so that we can think critically, we convince people that just doing what you're told, mastering the basic skills, and regurgitating things on a test equals education. And then we have people running around wondering why they think they're smart, but yet they can't figure anything out. And they can never master themselves, especially their fears. That sums up everything for the world that we're heading into right now, folks. And it's, it's up to you. I can't do it for you. Mastering others is strength. Mastering yourself is true power. If you wonder why I'm so calm in all of this, if you wonder why I was so calm back in March, we're like, COVID's coming! And I'm like, calm the hell down. It's because I'm not afraid. It's because I'm not afraid. It's because you analyze what can you do. You set up systems of redundancy, you do the things you can do, and you go on with life. You could die. Man, you could die tomorrow, too. You get in a car, you could die. You go have an elective surgery to have a, a, something corrected as far as a physical thing on your face, you could die. You go to the dentist to get a wisdom tooth out, and they put you under for anesthesia. You could die. I mean, if I'm going to sit around and worry about all the times I can die, I'm never going to get anything done. You can walk outside, be minding your own business. Standing inside the fence of your own property and a, and a runaway vehicle can come through the fence and kill you. A, a, a few years ago, in the middle of the night, a guy came down the road at a high rate of speed, took out over 200 feet of my fence, and the only reason he stopped before hitting the neighbor's house 
was he hit an oak tree about as big around as a telephone pole. Without that tree, that was the last thing between him and my neighbor's house. For all I know, my neighbor was sitting in her, 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 her robe at night watching TV like I was, and he would have went through there and killed her. Are you going to sit around and worry about that? Or are you going to get on with life? If you master yourself and you do the things we teach, you can get on with life. And you can stop fearing things that you don't control. Uh, let's lead off today with, real quick, I want to talk to you about a social media platform, I guess, or communications platform, call it what you want, called Discord. Discord is, it's, it, it's, it's an interesting technology. They say you have a server, and I guess it's a virtual server of some kind. You don't have to know what that even means to use it. But think of it like a board, like a chat board. But then in that board, the people that set it up, in this case the TSP Discord crew, can break down into individual topics that, that use hashtags like pound sign, livestock. And then inside that, it's all a discussion of livestock. That's how it works. There's lots of cool things. You can actually have, um, like, chat calls. You can have, you know, actually have everybody talking like they're on a phone with each other, like a party call. You can send files. You can put links in. You can uh, directly connect with individuals. It's pretty cool. And so a while back when I left Facebook, and, I, and, and I'm going to say a little more on this in a second, um, I said the Facebook group is doomed. It was part of why I left. The TSP Facebook group, if you're part of that group and you value it, you better get on MeWe or Discord or something now because I'm, I'm going to tell you that if we make it till 2021 without that group being shut down and deleted by Facebook, I will be shocked. If, with what I Because I don't do anything on Facebook, but occasionally when I'm doing a drive-by and saying, hey, Zuckercock sucks, come on over here, I'll check in on that group and see what's going on. And as an admin and, and the owner of the group, I'll log in and see how many warnings we've gotten. And we are getting warning after warning after warning because somebody in the group posted something the Facebook police don't like. So that thing's going to go away. And when I said that, a dedicated group of people there went over and created a Discord server. They made me an admin and said, you guys, you better come on over here and, and do some stuff with your people. So being a good a good podcast host and having a community that's over here, if you go somewhere and you're using it, I'll show up. I've been checking into it, and it's gotten cooler and cooler and cooler. And I've really been communicating a lot with the Pirate Chain crew on their Discord. And it turns out that Pirate Chain has developed a thing called an R-tip bot. R is an R like a pirate. R-A-R-R-R is the tip, typical the, the ticker symbol for the Pirate Chain cryptocurrency. And so I found out about that, and it was kind of cool. And I realized I was getting tipped in the pirate chain discussions, a little bit of R here and there. Free cryptocurrency is great. They have a thing called a faucet where you could just say, basically, give me some money from the faucet with a command, and it would give you a little bit of R. You could do that once a day. And I thought this was really cool. And I told Drake, who we had on this week, this is really cool. He goes, it works all across Discord. You can install it in your own server. So I went into our chat and said, hey, how do I do that? And a guy told me, and I did it, and boom, we have it on ours. And it required a little bit of tweaking by the dedicated crew of admins, but it works now. So you can go into our chat room, and people can tip each other R. You already have an R address on Discord now, if you are a Discord member in our chat or on the Pirate Chain chat. In fact, anywhere, I think. And then there's a whole list of commands of how to do that. We talked about that on Tuesday, so I won't you know, belabor it, but it's there. And we have come up with some cool ideas. And here's one we're floating. We're not exactly sure how we're going to do it. The latest edition of it, we called it Gifts Against Humanity. And we came up with an idea of, like, let's set up one night next week, maybe, like 6 o'clock in the evening or something, a chat in a dedicated room 
where you have to communicate with each other using GIFs, which are the little short animated video pictures with no sound, right? And uh, if you've never done that, it's, it's, it's kind of fun. And we had a rule like you can only use four words per every GIF you post. So you can use a little bit of text, and then you have to use GIFs to make your point. And then we thought about some ways of playing some games. It sounds fun as crap. And we're thinking about maybe eventually having when people like use too many words and get caught, They have to they have to rain R on people or something. But we're also thinking like that might be hard at first because people don't have any. So maybe we come up with a way like where we as the admins have kind of a little pool of R and we like distribute it to people based on what we think, and, and just get people using it this way for information exchange. And it doesn't cost you anything to get in the game. And I think it'll be fun. And we've come up with some other pretty cool ideas. And this is one of the things I like about social media. When you're actually communicating with people on a common mindset, there is value in it. So just consider checking out the Discord chat. And those of you who have maybe gone to the website and tried to get into Discord and it didn't work, apparently they changed something with the invite link because it's invite only. And so I've changed it in the show notes and all so you can get into the Discord now with the, the invite link. Uh, next up, I want you to check out The Greater Reset, and I will put a link in the show notes for you so you can go click on it and go straight over there without having to write it down. The URL for it is greaterreset.net. It's put together by uh, Derek Bros and uh, John Bush. John is on the uh, Goose Group with me on the Goose Podcast. And um, it's designed to, to roll out at the same time that the you know Great Reset rolls out from Davos, from the World Economic Forum, Is a counter is basically a counter technology in in many ways. See, this fits right in with what I was talking about with the quote of the day by Lazu: "Mastering others is strength. Mastering yourself is true power." The the good part of this whole great reset is that it's completely transparent. Now, like I said, they're not going to get everything they want, but we literally know everything they want to do and how they wish to do it. Which means, just like I was saying during our intro segment, then you can sit down and figure out everything you can do in response to it. And I think a lot of people don't realize how much you can do. That's why I did Resistance Through Adaptation, the episode I did on that just a bit ago. I'll link in the show notes to that as well for you today. But this is going to be basically an online free webinar. I think it's going to be free anyway. And I've agreed to, to, to instruct at it uh, over a series of days. This is, here's the things that you can do. Here's how to protect your privacy. Here's how to protect your wealth. Here's how to form groups that take care of each other. Here's how to produce your own food. Here's how to engage in commerce that they can't control. Here's what you can do in response to their plan before they implement it. And that should do a lot to help you master your own fear. Because like I said, you can teach somebody all of the things that they need to understand about something like this. And, and what you're learning is how to jump out of a perfectly good airplane with parachute technology that's like 65 years old at this point, where there's lots of ways you can get hurt and definitely lots of ways you can die. And that person can be fairly fearless because they know they've done what can be done And they've chosen to engage in the activity. The difference here with the Great Reset is you don't get to choose whether or not you're going to be part of this. The lot you drew 
in the lottery of life by being born at a time such that you'll be here and engaged in living during this period has guaranteed you that you will be standing up and stepping out the door. You are going to exit the freaking aircraft. It is going to happen. Stand up! Hook up! Right? That's going to happen to you. Sound off for equipment check. I didn't sign up for this. Tough shit. You were born. You're going out the door. But you got lots of time to go through, basically, jump school for the Great Reset. By learning what the concept of a privacy reset is. And it's a larger context with John's project of learning about a greater reset. Rather than letting them reset the way things are, why don't we reset ourselves? See, their goal is to master others. That's why I chose this quote for today. That's what they want. That's what the World Economic Forum wants. That's what the global governments of the world want. That's what all of these people, various different flavors of statism, this is what they all want. They want to master others for strength. But the counter to being mastered by others is to master yourself. And then you have power. And the power is the very thing they wish to take away from people. It really is. That's what, by stripping privacy, you strip power. By stripping the ability of two people to do business privately, you take away one of their greatest forms of power. By stripping the ability of people to have conversations in private, you strip away their power. By stripping away the ability of a family to choose where they get their food from, you strip away their power. Do you see how all that works? So what's the solution? You master yourself so that you don't need them. What, they, what they're banking on is so many people have been so dumbed down and have been sucking the tit that is the establishment for so long that they can't see a way to cope without their shit. There's lots of options. There's lots of alternatives. I promise you. So check out John Bush's new project again called The Greater Reset at greaterreset.net. If you just remember, go check the, the, the show out for the day and all the resources will be in the show notes for you, including the show I did if you missed it, Resistance Through Adaptation. If you haven't listened to that one yet, you need to. Thanks. I, I know I've been talking about crypto quite a bit lately and we're only going to do this for a really short period of time today. But one of the reasons I'm so hot on this topic in light of the Great Reset, is one of the greatest steps that you can take to take control of your ability to do commerce with other people in a way where your wealth cannot be seized. Even the most flawed cryptocurrency on the planet, which is probably the most popular one, Bitcoin, because it costs a lot of money to send, and it's totally public once you know how an address is associated with somebody. And if once you have an address, you can look up and see all the money in it, all the money that came in, where it went, how it came out. You, you may not be able to easily put names along with that, but with sophisticated data mining, they can be pretty good at that. It's still better than a bank account. It's still better than a bank account. Because even if the government could say, we know you control this address, that's so you say, well, give us the money. No. We want your private key. I don't have a private key. I don't know what you're talking about. You can't get to it. If we add things like privacy coins like Monero and R and some other options to that, not only do they not have the ability to get it, they can't see it or know anything about it. 
And that's, that's a bit advanced in the world of cryptocurrency. And, and there's some of you out there that whenever I talk about this, I know exactly what you're doing. Your eyes are rolling over like a kid being told to behave and, and to stop bothering your little sister. Cut that shit out. Okay, this whole tulip mania crap, this shit's been going on for longer than survival podcast has been a thing. Bitcoin now predates this pod, or has always predated this podcast. This podcast is in its 13th freaking year. This is not going away. This is not going to crash. This is not a scam. And the establishment hates it. One of the best on-ramps so that you can understand how it actually works and stop using willful ignorance as a shield against knowledge. And that's really what it's become. And that's part of how you're controlled. They, they put a preconceived idea in your head and they literally, in, like part of school... Part of what they teach you both in school and through media today is once you form a belief, here's how to defend it without understanding anything about it. Here's how to write off every counter-argument without actually hearing it, without actually considering it. Okay? Here's how to do that. That's, that's exactly what you're taught how to do today. And that is natural once it's ingrained and taught, and that's what many of you have been doing with cryptocurrency. If you were to understand... Simple things like, what is a blockchain? How does it work? How is it secure? How can it possibly be used as a currency system? And any of you that are resistant to this, that can't answer those questions, right? or you think you can with a one-sentence answer, you don't understand it if you think you can explain all that with one sentence each. You really can't. I don't care if you learn the Investopedia term of the day and you think you know the answer. If you had a deeper understanding of this, then you would understand the why behind it. And then if you reject it, at least you'd re re reject it through being informed. And so the one of the best tools that I know of comes from the, the, the cryptocurrency Dash. They have a playlist called Dash School. It's six videos. The last three really are specific to Dash. And, and, and they're Dash propaganda. And propaganda is not always bad, but they're Dash. The first three... It has nothing to do with Dash. It's the general understanding of blockchains and how blockchains and cryptocurrencies within them function. And if you are brand new and thinking, I just don't know anything, give your. it doesn't take much time. It's not that long. You've been listening to TSP longer than the three videos put together, I think. Watch those three videos. And if you don't understand it, watch them again. The gal that does it, she's great. She's entertaining. She's easy to understand. She's a great presenter. And I'll leave it at that, and let's move on from there. But I'm just telling you, if you write off cryptocurrency right now, at this point in history, you're taking one of the greatest tools you can use to master yourself and resist the establishment that wants to make you respond in fear, and you're throwing it away due to willful ignorance and the fact that you've been trained to defend your willful ignorance. And I, you've literally been trained. And before I leave the subject... I just want to talk about being taught versus being trained. Training is what we do to people in society today. We, we, we very seldom truly teach them. We train them. I can train a dog. I can train a vine. I can train a tree. To train is to condition an organism so that it must respond in the way that you have trained it. You train a soldier... To the point where when they get shot at, instead of running away, they take cover, assess, and return fire. That's training. 
Once you train a soldier, then you begin their teaching so that they can be more than just that. In society, what we do is we train people and stop. And you've been trained to resist knowledge that is counter to the knowledge that they have insisted that they have taught you when they haven't taught you shit. If you do not have the ability to take the thing you think you know and tear it apart, rip it apart, and challenge it to the point where you either now know it's true or have changed your belief in it or most likely figured out it's partially true and partially false. Until that, you do not know how to learn. And you haven't learned anything. You've been trained. The fact that I can say to you seven times seven and you say 49 doesn't mean you've been taught. You've been trained. Now that training has value. I'm doing this with my grandson right now. He's a few of his times tables he struggles with still. So on higher math, hey, since you're limited by this factor, you haven't been trained to this, it's hard to teach you that. Got it? So it's not that training has no value. It's training independent of learning has little to no value. And many of you, the reason you resist certain ideas is training. All right, next up, this is a cool thing. Just a really cool thing. It's called Maker Pipe. And it, it's not pipe. It uses pipe. Um, the website is makerpipe.com. I haven't bought or tried these yet, but just looking at it, I see no reason that it wouldn't work. It's designed to work with EMT conduit, which is standard size. And then it's basically a, a system of, of, of various different brackets that allow you to link this pipe together in almost unlimited angles. So some of the things that I'm looking at here are like um, a, a structure around a garden with netting so that the, they can support plants. And, and that's cool, but many people have done that without these. And if you're doing this most basic structure, I don't know that you need it, except you'll find that the... The, the hardware store fittings for this conduit are pretty expensive when you start trying to build something complex, and by being able to shortcut that, you do better. But I'm looking at like a canopy over a deck for people. I'm looking at tables. I'm looking at a freaking go-kart frame. Uh, so this stuff must be pretty strong. Again, I haven't tried it yet, but I see no reason it wouldn't work. I see a platform in the back of an SUV with like a generator and some equipment And then this is basically forming a very strong set of legs for a, form, a piece of plywood so that there's open storage underneath, and yet this more bulky equipment that's in the back of this SUV or van is working. I see a covered tarp system for, like, a dry dock uh, on a lake, there, it, it, and it just seems really cool. Is it the right thing for everything? I doubt it, but it's real. I, I, I'm, I'm just... Looking at this, and I'm betting that it came from like a Kickstarter or something originally. Uh, a shop bench is another thing I see out of it. And the, the person that sent it to me said, you know, it might be really cool for building racks for indoor aquaponics system. And I got to say, I think it might be a real cost saver in doing that. And maybe you do need to think about weight when you're doing something like that, but and maybe some extra, you know, vertical supports and what have you, but. Yeah, and that would give you unlimited flexibility on like spacing and layout. And that would open up, see, the way this makes it then makes even more sense is since you have unlimited layout possibilities as far as the dimensions of a rack system, 
then you can find the containers that you want to use and build the rack to fit the container. Which generally, the, the, the thing that starts escalating costs in these indoor hydroponics and aquaponics systems is you find the rack system and then you have to fit a container to it to maximize it. This flips that around on its head. Um, even like building like indoor mini greenhouse type systems, seed starting systems, like, and that's, that's pretty limited in what this can do. And again, the website is makerpipe.com. At this point, as I tell my wife often when she's like, well, what about this and what about that? You know what I know. At this point, you know, like I'll get a text from like a friend and he'll say like a one sentence statement and I'll be like, so-and-so just said this. And she's like, well, what about that? What about like, you just saw me get the text. You just saw me read the text. You can see my phone and there's no follow-up. <laughs> I know what you know. And, and that's, that's, that's where we're at with this. You know what I know, guys, on this right now. I've given you all I know. I'm not saying it's the end-all, be-all. I haven't played with it yet. But I really think that a lot of you are going to want to check this one out. So, again, i got a link in the show notes today. Next, I had a question today from a guy that said, Hey, how do you feel about old landline telephone technology? And specifically, he's kind of in a rural area, and sometimes their cell phone coverage is really spotty. If that was me, I'd have a landline. I don't, but if that was me, I'd have a landline. I literally have, within visual line of sight from my home, an AT&T cell phone tower. I mean, I literally could stand in my backyard and look to my southwest and see a tower. I'm, I'm not, but I'm almost too close to it. I'm almost in the cone where the, the signal comes down, where there's like a, a spot right underneath it where you won't get signal. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm that close. Uh, cell phone coverage here is outstanding. We also have internet that is a hardline internet technology. So a lot of times if you're rural, you, you might not have a hardline internet. You might be relying on uh, dish or microwave or something like that. So... Why does that matter? Well, it gives me VOIP, and I actually never use it. We've never used it once. I don't even know what the number is. But with Spectrum, the cost of Internet, cable, and VOIP is less than the cost of Internet and cable. So since we have Internet and cable, and the bill goes down by adding the VOIP service, we have done that. And basically what we have is we have a little VOIP box in one of our rooms, And it has the, the, the CATV cable coming into it, bringing in all of our services. And it converts the VOIP level of service on that. And then it's plugged back into a phone jack. So uh, this is an old house. It was built in the 70s. So we have you know landline phone jacks in, in quite a few places. So you can literally take a cheap landline phone, plug it into any jack, and then you have phone service. Is that as reliable as landline? No, it's not. No, it's not. Now, if the reason your power is down is some fool ran into a telephone pole with a Mack truck and ripped all the cabling down and it all has to be put back together, then your phone line's probably down too. But if the power's out for just about any other reason that's not the physical destruction of all the lines, like it's only somebody dug up the power, right, or it's a transformer blew up somewhere, you'll find that phone line, old landline style, will probably still work. And the reason is that central offices generate their own power, 
And there's actually a negative DC voltage. If, I'm not going to get into how negative, negative voltage works today, but it's negative 48 DC voltage that's on a landline. That's why like, you can get a little shock from it. It's not going to kill you or nothing, but there's some power there. And that means that a landline phone, assuming it's not like something that needs to be plugged into electricity, like a, a cordless variety or something like that, but an old school straight up landline phone, will run on that phone line even when the power is down, usually. So it is the most reliable form of communications that we have, other than maybe if you're a ham. If you're a ham radio operator, you have other options then. So if you're somewhere that you feel limited in your ability to communicate, and it might be really, really important that you can, it's probably worth the cheap-ass cost of having one. Um, assuming that it's a cheap-ass cost. Like if you're putting it in an off-grid place and you're bringing your own power and whatever and it's going to cost thousands of dollars to run a phone line in, you may not want to do it. You may want to run it yourself. You may want to... There's other ways we can do that that we'll leave out unless somebody's really, really interested about it. But I, it's not a high priority for me. But if I lived out in the sticks, like I live at the edge of the sticks and the rural and, and, and there's lots of ways for me to communicate... But if I live somewhere where, like, literally somebody could be laying dying and there's no way for me to get in touch with somebody for help, I, I would have a landline. Next up, um, I, I've been asked about soil testing and, and what have you. And I'm going to start off with I have done soil testing before, but I don't anymore. And I have no plans at any time in my future unless something changes drastically to test soil. Now, part of why that is I'm a permaculturist and a gardener, I'm not a farmer. I call myself a redneck hippie duck farmer, and in some ways I'm a redneck hippie duck farmer. I have a duck farm. But when I say I'm not a farmer, I mean I am not growing commercial crops for sale. And I think if you're putting in, you know, a half acre, 10 acres, 100 acres of some crop or series of row crops, and failure means the loss of tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars or bankruptcy, then soil testing makes a lot of sense, not only to determine what you should do, so that you can do what you want to do, but what you shouldn't do. You might determine there's a deficiency in such a way that this crop that you thought was a good idea is not a good idea right now, and you need to start somewhere else. So that's where I see value in it. For the average person putting a garden in or whatever, no matter what your problem is, you're going to apply organic fertilizer, rock minerals like green sand and, 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 and other rock minerals, and organic matter, and compost, and compost tea, and that's what you're going to do. And I don't care what, <laughs> I just don't care what the deficiency is, the remedy is going to be do more of that. And my view is we human beings have an ability to know that soil is good soil that's innate to us, and I can't explain it other than we've been doing it for over 10,000 years. And what I mean by that is, if I take shitty soil, and I pull it out of the ground, and I put it in my hands, and I show it to you, and it can even be dark, it can just be not well-structured, etc., you know it's not good. You look at it and go, that's lumpy black gumbo clay. But if I were to go out to the gardens I put in last year, the ones around my big Miyagi, with just one year of soil management in there, which is 
Rock minerals, compost tea, organic fertilizers like Dr. Earth soil trenches with, uh, with Dirt Doctor's uh, Garrett Juice formula, lots of organic matter and mulch. That's what it is. Right? That's that's what it that's the whole thing. Like my entire fertility program is online for you to look at. Go to the survivalpodcast.com, type in fertility, and look for one of the posts that has fertility in the tags and hit that tag and look at every product I use and how I use it is there for free. You can buy it from Amazon or you can get it locally. You can substitute it as you want, it doesn't matter. If you follow the basic protocol, you're gonna have soil like that. And if I pull that soil out, I showed it to you right now. If I, maybe today, if I have time, I'll go out and do a quick video as a follow-up. And just I'll just pull it out and hold it in my hand and show it to you. And you know what you'll say? That's good soil. That's good soil. Now, again, if you're trying to grow crops and you're going to measure your, crop, your harvest in tonnage, and yield is so important that you're going to lose the farm, so to say, if you don't get it right, okay, I get it. When we're managing vast swaths of land, broad acreage, I, I, to a degree I get it. It depends on what we're doing. But in the end, if we're not... See, here's my thing about soil testing. I think it's interesting and useful to prove a point. Like, hey, here's this soil. Like, testing soil. And then, like, just do this kind of management to it for, like, two years. And have it tested again and see the difference. I think it's interesting for that. But when it comes to what you're going to do... If you're going to take a fully organic, permaculture, regenerative approach, you're going to do the same thing. You're, you're not going to like go out and specifically um, apply nitrogen at a rate of X per Y. You know, you're going to get a good organic fertilizer like Dr. Earth or something similar, and you're going to apply it. You're going to use beneficial microorganisms. You're going to maybe inoculate with fungal inoculant. You're going to find that a lot of times soil tests deficient. It's not deficient. The minerals are there. They're there. There's not a square cubic meter of soil that doesn't have any selenium in it. It doesn't exist. It will test poorly because it's not bioavailable. It's locked up with other things, and it's biological life that makes it bioavailable. The plant needs a tiny amount of this. It's critters and things that make this happen. So the reason I don't spend a lot of time on it, effort on it, money on it, is simply that in the end, what am I going to do? I, I, I kind of look at it. I have people who think I'm crazy that are you know my fellow aquarium nerds. I love my aquarium. They're like, when's the last time you tested your water? I don't know. Never? How old's that tank? Four years now? How does it look like that? When something's wrong, I do a water change. But that you can't just do that. Well, when you find something's wrong, what do you do? Well, I do a water change into, well, uh, see? I observe the plant life. I observe the fish. If it looks like there's a nutrient deficiency, I address it. If the fish are behaving in a way that seems not quite right, hey, we'll do a water change. If everything seems happy, all changing the water is going to do is mess it up. How I look at soil. You'll never hurt your soil by adding organic matter, by adding organic fertility, by encouraging bioavailability, by making sure that organic rock minerals are available, by feeding the soil organisms. Like, you'll never make it bad by doing that. It'll only get better. And if you manage soil the way I teach you, it will only get better every year. 
you, it, it will blow you away, and you'll almost have to remind yourself how, how much the change is if, you, if it happens gradually, like watch your kids grow. Like if, you're, if you have a raised bed, what you'll have to do is after about two or three years of managing the soil in there is take some of that soil and put it like on a, on a saucer, like a, a bottom uh, water catcher for a, a pot, you know, a little bottom piece, I guess you'd call it the, the saucer, and then dig some grass out of the way and dig some soil up out of your lawn. Unless you're really badass at managing lawn, and put the, put it together and look at it, you, you won't need a soil test kit to figure that out. Now, if you're on that higher level of of actual farming, then uh, I I I, I would suggest that you reach out to like your your local ag extension agent and NRCS and, and say from an organic management standpoint, what should be done here. And they're, they're useful for that. They're, they're not all bad guys. They're really not. Uh, next up today, I want to just real quick hit you with the actual science from a very basic level about lockdowns. And this is, this is not something that's even debatable. They don't work because we have enough data now, which is what science is based on, is data, to say they don't work. And all you have to do to see that they don't work is take the states and the areas with the most restrictive lockdowns in the United States and the areas with the least restrictive lockdowns. And when you when you look at the full timeline, not there was a peak here and not a peak here at the same time. So they were doing better in June. When you look at the totality from beginning to now, where we have enough of a timeline for things to kind of equalize, because this thing is a virus, it pulses through in cycles, they run about six to eight weeks every time a surge comes, and they surge in different areas at different times. That's also science because we can look at data that shows us this. You can go look at the data for any place this thing has come, surged, first wave, second wave, third wave, whatever, and it does the same thing. The curves look the same every time. And when you look at a place like Sweden that did almost nothing, you look at a place like Italy or New York or California that did Nazi-level lockdowns, you look at people that took like a middle approach like Texas, you look at places like South Dakota that took more of a Swedish approach than Texas, you take a look at Florida, which kind of went Texas and then went to almost South Dakota, Sweden, and you look at all of these places that all took all these different approaches, and you correct if anything is evident as being differentiating, is in cases per 100,000 and deaths per 100,000, the places with the lockdowns did worse. Period. End of story. I'm sorry. That's the facts. Now, you could take an island nation like Australia that limited their exposure and got on it really, really early and say, see, see, they've also completely destroyed their economy way worse than we have. So that's what they got for it. But once you have this problem... Locking people in their homes does not stop the problem. And I defy anybody to make the case for me that I'm wrong with so-called science. And the reason I even bring this up is, one, so you'll stop believing it, but two, so you'll actually challenge people when they tell you it's science. Can you show me the science? What science are you talking about? Because some guy on TV telling you something, my God, I hate to say this again, but it's not fucking science. It's not Science is driven by data and observation and control and experimental groups. 
And we either set up those control and experimental groups, i.e., I have complete control over this, so I expose this one group to a thing and this other group not to a thing. And a laboratory setting, that's one type of science. But then when you get into human beings and people that move around and people have independent thoughts, you don't get to do that because it will never work that way. Now you have to actually say, based on the empirical evidence and data collection, does this idea that locking people in their homes, shutting down restaurants, destroying economies, makes the situation better hold water? And it doesn't. I know that you who live in New York State have been told, oh my God, people are dropping all over the place in Texas. We are doing better than you, and we have from the beginning, and we continue to do better than you. And you know what? It's not because we took a better approach. It's not because we took a better approach. And I'm talking, I'm talking about the economics. I'm talking about just the virus itself. It just so happens, it just so happens that whatever the specific deficiencies are in nutrition and health that cause people to be more susceptible to this, they're higher in New York State than they are in Texas. Vitamin D probably has something to do with that, by the way. Additionally, the one thing we did better, and like every state did better than the top five states who all are all at the top of the list for the most deaths per 100,000 did, was protect elderly people. You can kind of protect a group of people in a closed building with the right procedures and protocols to a degree. But this is, and this is what the art, where the argument falls apart is people on the right say, there is no pandemic, there's nothing to worry about. No, there is a pandemic. It is nothing like the pandemics of the past that actually killed shitloads of people of all age groups and demographics and like everybody was susceptible to it or younger people were more susceptible like the Spanish flu where if you were a young, healthy 20-year-old, you were most at risk. We know exactly who the most at risk people are. We can provide the, the best protection we can for them and everybody has the same problem. We all have a problem. There's a pandemic. You stood up, hooked up, shuffled to the door, and went out of the airplane, whether you wanted to or not. Jumpmaster kicked you in the ass. You're in the middle of a pandemic. That is, You cannot make that not the case. Whether or not you destroy your economy, that's a decision. So what happened was everybody got thrown out of the plane, and these dumbasses said, you know what will make this better? Let's cut half the risers on the parachute, right, and go in a cigarette roll on our way down so we hit the ground harder since we we're already thrown out of the airplane because we have to do something. We can't just float down. That's exactly what you do when you get kicked out of an airplane. Your parachute opens. You look up, you see a canopy. Hey, man, keep your feet and knees together and you'll live forever. That's the credo of the airborne, guys, right? That's one of the credos of the airborne right there. And, and, and these people have defied all logic and everything they call science literally isn't science. Literally every claim that they defend with, but it's science, isn't science. That's how you know it's not When they say it's science, then they're lying or they're wrong. You tell me which one it is. Because when something is actual science, you don't have to say it's science. Do you understand how that works? When something actually is science, you say, this is the way that we determine this to be true, and you lay out the scientific procedure and process that was used, and the evaluation and the conclusions that came from it, and the person that you're explaining it to, assuming they have an IQ over like 90, goes, oh, okay, I understand that. You've defended your position well. And then if that person challenges you, you don't say, be silent, it's silence. You say, let me hear what you have to say, and let me counter your argument or, or, or answer your question. 
This would be the scientific process as it was developed specifically to combat mysticism. Mysticism, religion, spirituality, call it what you want to, science was developed to combat unfounded beliefs that would be defined as faith with we must not have faith in things in this world, we must have knowledge of them. And when you say, shut up and listen to the science, you're saying, why are you not a true believer? That's not how science works, and I am sick of it. I'm sick of hearing people say, listen to the science, and you go, explain the science to me. Well, all the experts say, clearly you don't know what science is. The experts say, is not, shall not, will never be, and has never been what science is. If it is settled, it's not science. The entire premise of science is that nothing is ever settled. Gravity, we know there's something that we call gravity. We have some ideas of how it works. But gravity in of itself, fully defined, is still a theory. It's not a fact, There's facts within it. In other words, if I drop shit, it will fall. But how that process works, they don't even understand that yet. They have theorems. They have math that checks out. But any honest physicist will tell you gravity is a theory, not a fact. We have observable facts that lead us to the theory and our best guesses of how this works. Curved space, etc. That's... That's what science is. So when you take something like living, breathing, dynamic human beings and how they interact socially and declare within a week that you know the science is lock them in a room and they'll be well, you haven't done anything remotely approaching wiping the hairy ass crack of science. You're literally in the world of magic at that point. And magic and science, they don't go together. I'm sorry. And everything coming off your TV right now is magic. It's voodoo. It ain't science. And do is a good word for it. Because if you stepped in it, it would stink. Let's move on. I want to talk one more thing about one more thing today. And that is just a new look at landlording and an opportunity that might be available to people. So what I'm, I'm talking about is not, 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 not that this is a bad business model, but not, you know, buying over time, three or four, three-bedroom, two-bath uh, houses and renting them to people. I'm talking about landlording from a standpoint of building something more along the lines of like a tiny home for rent, you know, grouping. Like on, on my property of three acres, I could easily fit four tiny houses on this property. And I could probably put in some common infrastructure for them, like a place where people could do their laundry without coming into my house. And I could probably make sure they all have enough power to at least cool themselves at night and make them pretty cool. And uh, I could, you know, or I could take the approach of putting in a couple glamping sites. So I don't know how many people would want to camp here other than for workshops. But there's ways I could do this. And if I had, let's say, a bigger piece of land a little further out, maybe glamping would be the way to go. And maybe putting in some places where people can. You know, they're specifically set up for people to dry camp with an RV or maybe even put in some RV hookups. And I think the opportunity to make an income off of something like that is really, really good, and it's only going to get better. There's going to be a lot of people that are in transient lifestyles and a lot of people deciding what they want to do with their life. And, like, the tiny house thing is a real movement, but the, the opportunity in that movement to me is not building tiny houses for production purposes. 
It's all the people that think that's what they want and letting them have a test drive. Come live in a tiny house for a month. See if this is really what you want. And if it isn't, go do something else. Or here's some sort of transitional housing that you can rent for one reason or another. And again, I think there's going to be a lot of opportunity in this. Right now, anybody doing this, if you're not using services like Airbnb and HipCamp, you are a fool. You're going to become a true landlord with a true tenant under the definition of the law, and it is going to take extreme, heroic, and expensive effort to get rid of somebody in less than 90 days um, than it would if you were using Airbnb or HipCamp or something like that. If you have someone renting from you through one of these services like this and they become a problem and you say, I need you to leave, and they don't leave, then the sheriff or some proxy for sheriff will come to your property, grab them by the neck with their shit, and hurl them into the street off of your property and say, if you go back on there, I'm going to put you in a cage. Now, I am an anarchist, voluntarist, agorist, and I would prefer the state didn't have that system and there was no state, and there was some sort of private security, and none of this would be necessary. But I am a pragmatist, and I know the world in which I live. And the, the converse is, if I have that tiny house, and you and I have an agreement that you can stay there for this much money a month, even if it says 30 days notice to get the hell out, um, and I have a problem with you, you can basically stay, and it can take me up to three months or more to get rid of you, without you paying me. And if I throw you out, I will get in trouble with the law. So I much prefer the first option to the second, since I don't have option three yet. Here's my issue. Airbnb and, and, and et cetera. They're fairly expensive platforms to use. And the main reason that we use them is, one, the legal protections I just gave you. There's also protection for the renter. Like, people are comfortable saying, yeah, I'll, I'll take this really awesome house for $300 a, a day for three days and pay a 900 bucks before they show up. Because they know, number one, you've got reviews, it's online, they have recourse, etc. In a direct relationship, they don't have that confidence and you don't have this legal protection. I think there's a place, and maybe this already exists and you can tell me if there, there is an alternative, I think there's a place for a less expensive platform that's primarily for people who already know who they want to do business with that takes a very small percentage of the fee just so that I can actually have you thrown the hell out the same way I can have you thrown the hell off my property if you're using hip camp and hip camp might be cheap enough it doesn't matter I don't know I haven't checked into it yet and then you know what can you do with hip camp can I rent you a tiny house through hip camp and is it cheap well then maybe I want to do that I don't know But I think there might be more and more opportunities for things like this, like understanding law, understanding the problem the law creates, understanding the loophole the mainstream's platform solves, building the alternative platform that's less expensive, and maybe doesn't work as well for what the big... See, the thing about Airbnb is if I want to find a house in, in Oklahoma near Broken Bow... Then I go to friggin' Airbnb and I put in Broken Bow, Oklahoma, and a whole shitload of options show up. I put my, you know, how close I want it to be to town, uh, how many bedrooms I want, and it filters all that stuff. And then since I'll do that, if you have a vacation home in Broken Bow, you want to be on Airbnb. With some of these smaller 
properties and people that have a lot more ability today to self-market online. You know, if you're a YouTube personality and you have a homestead and you have a, a, a million viewers, maybe you don't need Airbnb to fill up your four tiny homes as much as you want to every year. But until you come up with a an intermediary, at least in my understanding of the law, you are now operating as a true landlord tenant. That person says they're a resident there and they don't want to leave and they squat and it's very, very difficult to get rid of them. So I bring that up because I wonder, is there any place else where this type of opportunity exists for the technologically minded entrepreneurial person to create a competitive platform with something that seems like, you know, I, I really can't compete. But your goal is not to compete with them at their level for what they're doing, but to give the entrepreneur who doesn't want to pay them so much for the service they provide the opportunity to pay you less for the same service. Because in this instance, if I did this, if I put two or three or four tiny homes on my property and I set up a way for people to come stay here for a week at a time, I probably don't need Airbnb or Hip Camp at all to get people in the door, paying money, and in those things. I don't need it. I don't need it. But what makes it easy for me to throw you out of a hotel is I'm operating as a licensed hotel. Well, the government came in and basically said, that's what you're doing when you use these platforms. Because they didn't like it, and they wanted their piece of the pie. But when they did that, That also, in the, under the law, in many ways, redefined the relationship between the person paying the bill and the person receiving the money to where, no, you're not a renter in the way that we mean that when we say a residency. You don't live here. You're a short-term rental, and you're, you're, you're kind of renting under the same way that you do at a campground or a hotel. And therefore, when it's been determined that you are a problem for the business operator... You got to go. Where if you're just, if you rent, I mean, this happened to Brian. That's what I'm bringing up. Brian Norton uh, from Food Forest Farms Coffee. He does all the CBD coffee and everything. Uh, MSB supporter. He had a guy that rented. He turns his, his garage into a, like a, a one-room apartment. He rented it to somebody directly, and it was hell to get rid of that guy when the guy became a problem. And the cops told him flat out, if he was renting through Airbnb, I would grab him by the neck and throw him in the street for you, but I can't. And, to go through all, and he's like, never again. And that's why I'm telling you. So, but is there a, another opportunity? See, every problem is an opportunity. Every problem that's already been solved, but solved imperfectly, is an opportunity. And no problems have ever been solved perfectly. When you're a big corporation, you try to solve the problem for the most people. And if you're practicing defensive capitalism, which most of them are, in a way that makes competition with you extremely difficult because you actually want regulation. Because you can afford regulation and new startups can't. So once a company gets to a certain size, they actually crave regulation. They want to be regulated. Small guys hate regulation because they're agile and they can do things big people can't. There's a lot of holes in all of this. And holes and problems together are opportunity. And I'm just saying, take that pattern and things that seem totally unrelated, can you solve the problem? Can you solve the problem? And can that enrich your life and enrich the lives of others? That's how you become successful in a world where we live with what I call democratic capitalism. 
And democratic capitalism has nothing to do with the people that run the country or voting. Democratic capitalism has to do with people making decisions in how they spend their money, which is your only vote that really counts. Even in the so-called democracy or uh, the republic. It's not a democracy, it's a republic. Yes, yes, I know. I, pa I passed government and civics 101. I understand what you're saying. I don't know that you do, but I understand it. But in the end, if I want something done by senators and you vote and I have money, I get what I want. You don't get shit. You get to feel good one day a year. You get a sticker says, I voted, it might as well say I farted. If the current election hasn't taught you that, I don't know what will. But if I'm a rich billionaire with lobbyists, I don't need to vote. I move things with money. Democratic capitalism works a lot the same way if it's not interfered with government. Money goes where it's treated well. And if you can figure out a way to treat people that need something better, then their money will flow to you. With that, let's go ahead and wrap things up. Let me remind you, if you like the work that we do here and you want to help support us, one way you can do that is do your online shopping at tspaz.com. And this is a time of year, like, we're coming down to crunch time on Christmas gifts. Like, if you didn't get something yet, you better do it soon. Uh, Amazon's starting to have backup on order delivery times and stuff like that. And so it's time to get it done. And if you're going to do it, just start at tspaz.com. You help us out no matter what you buy. Today i got a great item for you. It's great for EDC. It's great to have extras around the house. It's great as a gift for your fellow preppers. It's a great for, gift for normies. No one won't like this thing. It's the Streamlight MicroStream flashlight. This is the little one that uses a single battery, right? And I kind of switched on to this one. I have recommended... The Streamlight Stylus Pro, which uses two AAAs forever. You guys have been listening for a while. You know, like way forever, like more than a decade. Well, one time when I brought it around, Nicole Saw said, I use this other light because girl jeans have stupid-ass non-pockets. Not wearing girl jeans, I didn't know that. And apparently a full-size Streamlight does not fit in the non-pockets of stupid-ass girl jeans, in the words of Nicole. So I'm like, well, if you're using something with one of those CR123 batteries, and uh, from a standpoint of which has more power reserve, it's better than a AAA. But I don't believe in specialized things for generalized needs. Specialized means harder to find, less quantity, and in general, you have less on hand. So I don't like CR123 batteries for everyday carry lights. I like AAAs because I have a buttload of them, and I have a buttload of rechargeable ones. And I can even harvest them from things like lawn lights, solar lawn lights and things like that if I need to. So I like to use things that are highly available to me. And so I like a standard battery and I like something to work. And Streamlight is just a great company. The other thing with this light, though, and this is, uh, again, something that, that I think really makes sense for picking it up right now. It's 30 bucks. You know what it's on sale for today? $13.25. 13 bucks a piece. So if you have people that you'd like to get something that's a little bit of a preparedness item for, this is easy to carry. Even your, your females on your list, it'll fit their stupid-ass stupid ass girl jean non-pockets, according to Nicole. Um, and it's 13 bucks. You might as well pick up one or two for yourself and your family while you're at it. Streamlight, MicroStream, Flashlight. And you can find it at tspaz.com. You, if you were on our... Any of our social media, you would have already seen it. On our email list, it will go out as soon as I'm done recording. 
um, get in touch with us. Make sure that we you don't miss out on stuff like this where you're like, well, you heard it and you were going to go look it up and then you didn't. Just get on the email list. Just go to the survivalpodcast.com, click on subscribe, or get on the telegram, telegram channels, another great way to make sure you don't miss anything. Just click on the Get Social tab. You can see all our social media stuff. With that, let's wrap things up with our song of the day. Yep. Song of the day today is by Merle Haggard. And it's if we make it through December. And this is a great song. It was actually supposed to be a song for next week, and I pulled it into this week because I didn't like what John Adam had for me today. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't used to understand this song fully. Because I'm one of those people that, even though I complain about them, I can be one of them where I'm like, technically, well, actually, right? Like the person at the sci-fi convention. In episode 127, you said this. But in episode 1300, you said that. And how do the, like, I'm that guy too. I, I, I admit it. And so when he says it's the coldest time of year, as a young man, I used to think, no, it's not. It's not. Coldest time of year is like January, February. That's, I mean, I, 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 I don't know about you, but where I live now, where I grew up in Pennsylvania, uh, it's January and February. That's when you hit the depths of the cold. But if you listen to the whole song, if you listen to the whole song, it's plenty cold in December. And what makes it the coldest time of year when you're in a situation like this song is about lost your job, don't have any money, can't take care of the kids, going through a rough patch is there's an expectation that comes in December with the holidays of it being a great time of year. And when you're going through that and you can't give it to the people that you love the most, it's the coldest time of year. And one of the things I want people in this audience to think about is most of you have been good ants to at least a degree. You have been more prepared than you have not. You've thought about these things in advance. You've mastered much of your own fear. And most of you will not experience this December as the coldest time of year. You're going to experience the coldest time of year in January and February. And that's actually a blessing. And if you know someone that that's not the case for, do what you can to make their December a little bit warmer. With that, it's been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. If we make it through December, everything's gonna be alright, I know. It's the coldest time of winter, and I shiver when I see the falling snow. If we make it through December Got plans to be in a warmer town come summertime Maybe even California If we make it through December we'll be fine Got laid off down at the factory and their timing's not the greatest in the world Heaven knows I've been working hard I wanted Christmas to be right for Daddy's girl I don't mean to hit December 
meant to be the happy time of year. But my little girl don't understand why daddy can't afford no Christmas here. If we make it through December, everything's gonna be alright, I know. It's the coldest time of winter. And I shiver when I see the falling snow. If we make it through December, got plans to be in a warmer town come summertime. Maybe even California. If we make it through December, we'll be fine. 